Key Economic Releases Affecting Fixed Income Yields Insights into Sectors Influencing Fixed Income Securities How AAM Plans to Capitalize on These Themes for Your Fixed Income Portfolio The Portfolio Fix is a podcast series featuring members of AAM's investment and portfolio management team. We will discuss the timely issues affecting the fixed income investments of our insurance clients. Welcome to another episode of The Portfolio Fix, a podcast series from AAM. My name is Patrick McGeever and I'm a member of AAM's investment team. Today, Tim Seneschal will provide AAM's latest views on the economy. And then Andy Bolin will join us to discuss the ever-changing auto sector. So welcome, Tim. Thanks, Pat. Um, Marco's taking some well-deserved time off, and Tim is filling his seat for this episode, in addition to his responsibilities as a senior portfolio manager. Tim is a key contributor to AAM's economic committee. So with that out of the way, uh, Tim, inflation has been a focus point now for more than two years. Uh, And in the past month, we've had a host of inflation-related data including PCE, CPI, ISM prices paid, weekly average earnings. They seem to be trending in the right direction. Um, what's your view? What does AAM expect going forward? Uh, yeah, that's absolutely right, Pat. The June readings on inflation were a bit better than the market had expected with both headline and core month-over-month measures beating um you know, lower than consensus by a tenth of a percent, and uh, and the year-on-year numbers moderating, uh, with uh, core price measure falling to 4.8 percent year-on-year uh, from 5.3 percent a month ago. Um, those figures, uh, in in addition to the rate of change in core services X housing, that's uh, that super core number is a number that Marco's mentioned in uh, past versions of this podcast was flat in June. And importantly, and I think something the Fed's going to be looking at, running at a three-month annualized rate of about one and a half percent, that's really fueled optimism in the market that progress is being made in bringing inflation down uh, closer to the Fed's 2% target. Uh, From our vantage point, and I think you're starting to read a little bit about this uh, as we move closer to next week's Fed meeting, the headline year-on-year numbers are going to be a little bit sticky in the next couple of months. Um, the uh, the trailing year-ago monthly numbers, uh, the comparatives uh, were weaker in July and August, so uh, we're not likely to see much improvement in the next few months in the year-on-year data, but uh, moderation in housing and rent inflation in the second half as we move closer to the end of the year is likely to and expected by the market to to add to deceleration trends in inflation as we move uh, through the end of the year. Okay. Um, I want to get your take on labor. Uh, labor and labor costs continue to play a big role in, in the inflation debate. Many are arguing that you can't get inflation controlled without a significant reduction of payrolls. So I was just wondering, what are uh, AAM's expectations in terms of payroll changes over the next several quarters? 
For sure. Yeah, wages have been sticky, and uh, that's going to be a big part of this equation, the dynamics in the labor market. Um, I, I went back and looked and, and uh, checked Fed staff estimates of where the unemployment rate was expected to be at the end of 2023 when the Fed met in December last year. And, uh, and those estimates indicate that they thought the labor market was going to be uh, rolling over about now. Mm-hmm. And we just haven't seen that. Um, Three-month average payroll additions, uh, month, the monthly numbers in the, the second quarter, 243,000 job additions. Now, that's a little bit slower than Q1, which, run, which ran uh, 312,000 jobs. Uh, but still, uh, companies are hiring, and uh, wages are running 5%, uh, give or take, year on year. And the monthly numbers uh, at four-tenths indicate that that's not really slowing. So that's going to be a source of consternation for the Fed. And from our vantage point, uh, we think the job market's going to hang on uh, with this strength a bit longer than consensus. And, and that uh, a 4% type unemployment rate will be more of a 2024 story than uh, second half 2023. Okay. Well, that's uh, makes the Fed's job, uh, I think, really challenging. You've got, you just said we expect inflation to uh, cool but we expect labor to remain relatively healthy in the year end. What does the Fed do? They've already raised rates by 500 basis points in the past 18 months. Do you think there's still more to go? Are they done? Um, what are the expected our expectations going forward? It was only a couple months ago that the market expected several rate cuts in the second half of 2023. Right. Well, well, we've got this meeting next week, and uh, a quarter point hike is fully baked into the market. So um, I think that that uh, that's uh, very, very likely to happen, uh, and the team believes that as well. But we think the AAM team that is that this is the final hike in the cycle, and that uh, the Fed will pause through the end of the year, and that it it won't be in a position to contemplate rate cuts until some point, probably the latter part of the first half of next year. Um, What's really going to be tricky for the chair, for Chair Powell next week, is going to be making a convincing case for neutrality and data dependency. Um, We've been waiting for this this period of pause for a long time, and and it seems as though we're finally going to get there next week. But uh, the data is mixed. There are hawks that will be kind of looking for signals that we may get more rate hikes down the line, and there will certainly be doves uh, pressing for signals that this cutting cycle uh, will be coming at the end of the year. And and, um, I think that's going to be a very difficult uh, balancing act for the chair, and I would expect a very volatile trading session uh, on Wednesday next week as the Fed uh, makes that announcement and the press conference follows. So, mm-hmm. um, but uh, to wrap that part of it up, we do think this is it for the Fed. Uh, but it's going to be uh, a bit longer than the market believes um, for that first rate cut and uh, and the sequence that follows in 2024. Hmm. Okay. So, inflation, cooling, 
healthy labor market, a Fed that raises by 25 basis points this coming Wednesday, and then and then pauses. Uh, what does that do to the Treasury curve? Uh, it's been inverted since fall of 2022. Uh, does it normalize, do you think, anytime soon? I think that we're going to get a bit of normalization, but we won't be uh, in a position to have a flat curve, at least you know by the measure of twos, tens, until some point next year, early next year. Uh, and it's going to take some weak data to support that case for um, 100 to 150 basis points of rate cuts um, to get the two-year down to a level that uh, that causes the curve to fully flatten and then, and then uh, move to a, a more normal shape. So mm-hmm. we're going to be inverted, perhaps not as severe as we are today, um, but uh, we'll have to wait for Marco's return to find out the rest of the story and, and uh, whether this soft landing is, is really achievable. All right. Uh, well, it wouldn't be an economic discussion if we didn't have uh, a talk about whether it's a soft or hard landing. So let's wrap it up with what our view is of what this all means for economic growth. Sure. The, uh, well, the economy is is uh, showing signs of, of you know, ongoing resilience and strength. Q2 is going to be a, a healthy print for GDP, um, but as we you know kind of think forward, and the market certainly does that itself, um, we aren't expecting a recession um, before the end of the year. Um, we're pushing out our estimates for uh, for the occurrence of that. Uh, to 2024 and um, reducing the severity in our view uh, of what that contraction looks like. So uh, that uh, that bodes well for the economy. I'm not sure whether you call that a soft landing or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will really depend on, on where unemployment is in the first quarter and then first half of next year. But uh, certainly a, a better economic temperature than folks had anticipated, uh, including ourselves, uh, three months ago. Yep, no doubt about it. Well, Tim, thanks for, for all that information. It's very, uh, very useful and for filling in for Marco. You bet. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. I think we might have a Wally Tip Lou Gehrig scenario playing out before our eyes. Next up, we're joined by Andy Bolin, our Auto analyst, uh, how you doing, Andy? Doing well. Good. Thanks for having me again, Pat. Yeah. It's great to have you. Uh, you've been so informative in our econ discussions uh, because of the influence that the auto supply chains have had and used car prices have had on inflation. So uh, it's great to have you on. Um, tell us what's going on. What's happening right now in the marketplace? Well, the the uh, current conditions are pretty favorable for the auto um, the auto companies. I mean, obviously, it's been a uh, pretty incredible few years. Um, something I don't think anybody ever anticipated happening um, economy wise, and in particular in the auto industry. Um, we all know about the supply chain issues, semiconductor, 
shortages. And uh, so it's been a pretty volatile couple of years, but all things considered, um, uh, pretty, pretty good time for the auto companies. And um, uh, what's happened is, is production over the last couple of years has, has really been uh, curtailed by all these factors. Um, and typically what we see, we always measure auto production on, on a seasonally annual uh, adjusted annual rate, which we call SAR. And typically, the uh, in boom times, the, the industry gets up up 17 million or more, and and over the last couple of years, they've struggled to get above 15, and so that kind of underproduction has led to um, uh, a shortage of of vehicles. The the average uh, vehicle age on the highway today is the highest ever, and so that's made a pretty positive uh, um, pricing environment for the auto oems and that's continued it will definitely continue through the second quarter um when they start reporting in a couple weeks okay so uh you said 15 sar that's been the first half of the year what what are you expecting for the remainder of the year are things still going to be that strong or yeah it's it's a it's been a slow and gradual ramp um but they've been able to consistently improve production. June actually hit 15.7. Um, and we'd, I'd expect it to continue, continue to go up from there. Um, and the second half of the year is going to be a little bit trickier. Um, by far and away, the biggest issue is going to be the UAW negotiations. Uh, there's a four-year labor contract that's coming due. Uh, they just kicked off negotiations. Um, and uh, last go around four years ago, uh, it cost GM was the focus of a strike and it cost them um, 4 billion or so uh, of earnings. And we don't know who the target's going to be, if there's going to be a strike or uh, any details like that, but we pretty, pretty safe to say the headlines are going to be more negative than positive at least initially. So Mm -hmm. we're going to expect some volatility there. Uh, And then also we're going to expect what I like to, you know, a lot of people are coining as normalization. You know, I just got done explaining how great times have been. Um, inventories have been low. Incentives have been low, meaning prices have been high. Uh, we're start, you know, that that as production has been coming back, those things have have gotten back to normal. Now they're still attractive. Inventories are still low, uh, but incentives are increasing. Inventories increasing, and so there'll be an increasing focus in the second half of the year about what what normal is and what it looks like. And then on top of that, you have the, you know, the, you also have concerns with the captive finance subs because um, by and large, the consumer has been holding up pretty well, uh, but we're starting to see some cracks uh, at the lower end of subprime level. Uh, and that could start to, to creep into the uh, performance of the, of the finance subsidiaries too. So just a few things to watch in the second half of the year. Okay, I want to touch on a couple points there. Uh, the UAW contract negotiation, what length of a strike would cause you to have concerns about the supply chain again? Well, a, a lot of it depends on 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 where the where the strike happens in a sense because what we historically with the UAW is, is focuses on one of the manufacturers. Last time it was a GM. Um, so if they, for instance, there's some um, some indication, we don't know for sure, but the Stellantis, which is the parent of Chrysler, would be the focus uh, this time around. And if that's the case, you actually 
could get a benefit if you're Ford or GM because you get to keep producing as you know as production levels uh, are, are held back at Stellantis. So, uh, so, so exactly how that impacts production and and you know it's kind of hard to tell at this point. Uh, obviously, a few weeks probably wouldn't matter much, uh, other than obviously being a pretty negative headline. Mm-hmm. Um, and what if there's no progress after a few weeks and it looks like it drag a few months, then, you know, definitely the concerns would, would be elevated at that point. Okay. Um, but the, but the auto companies have really good balance sheets right now. Um, more cash than debt on the automotive side. Um, so they're in a pretty good position, uh, heading into this. So that's, that's good to hear. Uh, the, um, the item you mentioned on credit deterioration is something to be mindful of in the second half of the year. Do, Do you know, um, how we compare right now compared to historical levels? Is it well below average right now, or what can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah, it's still well below. You know, I think as we enter, when we entered the year, everybody was watching for cracks to form, mm-hmm. and I think by and large, and not just in the auto side, but you know, across the economy, I think we've all been a little bit surprised at how well the the consumer has held up. Um, but like like I said, so the on the subprime level, you're starting to see some delinquencies approach pre-pandemic levels. But when you look at it as, as an aggregate, um, all levels, uh, we're still trending below um, what we saw pre-pandemic, uh, getting closer to that to those points. Um, again, goes back to my normalization question. You know, if we just end up where we were pre-pandemic, that's fine, and if, hopefully that's the new normal again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but all eyes will be on whether it continues to deteriorate from there. Okay. Uh, we couldn't have a auto discussion without talking about EVs. So uh, let's talk about that. Are the traditional OEMs uh, closing the gap with Tesla? What are your thoughts on the whole space right now? Yeah, it, it's 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 funny because when I was um, looking at this a, a couple of weeks ago, I went back to a presentation I did just just a short couple of years ago. Uh, and back then it was, uh, Tesla was, was dominating the EVs. Um, the traditional manufacturers were, were really just waking up to the threat at that point. Um, and we kind of pointed to, to this period, 2023, 2024, as, as kind of a, a maturation of, of EVs in a sense that we now have a lot of models out there. All traditional OEMs have very competitive products out there. Um, and, and in short, it's starting to look like a normal auto market now. Uh, and I guess it's no better indication of that than Tesla for the first time in its history had to start um, uh, reducing, uh, cutting prices to, to drive demand. They had to do that early this year and they, they did it in order to meet numbers for the second quarter. Mm-hmm. And when an automaker has to cut prices to, re- to uh, spur demand, that sounds like a normal um auto market okay um so they're going to have to behave just like a regular auto manufacturer but it's definitely matured and uh um and consumers definitely have a lot of choices out there uh not just tesla but a lot of other vehicles and there's and there's more to come okay i think that price cut by tesla uh negatively affected what the oems could charge for their ev offerings yeah. Uh, 
the short answer is yes, but there's still there's still um, most of what's out there from the audio, especially when you look at Ford and Jim, are pretty premium products, mm-hmm. and they're still not producing a lot of them. And so basically, they're, the the consumer that's buying those products really wants them. So probably less price sensitive than than when you look at normal auto production production levels. So, uh, but again, that's in the process of changing as they ramp up production and EVs become more uh, prevalent. Um, they, they EVs will have to be priced just like regular vehicles. And ultimately that, whether we look five or 10 years down the road, ultimately that will be the deciding factor, whether EVs take more market share or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so they all are, they all have to, they all have to, uh, um, come to reality on, on EVs and, and realize the consumer isn't going to pay whatever price they, they want, uh, forever. They're going to have to make it competitive with traditional vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the OEMs deservedly get the lion's share of focus in the auto sector, but there's a half dozen or so suppliers in the Bloomberg Barclays index. So what do you see them from those, uh, suppliers, uh, what kind of news can you give us? Uh, yeah, the suppliers, it, it, it going back to the, the unusual last couple of years, uh, the suppliers have had it even worse because they, they've had to deal with the same issues. The OEMs had to have, have had to deal with the supply chain issues, high materials, inflation, low volumes. Uh, but unlike the, the auto manufacturers, they could not raise prices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were getting squeezed. And we've now, starting late last year, especially with the last few quarters, uh, times have gotten a lot better for these suppliers. They're getting caught up on their price costs. They were able to recover their material costs. Um, volumes are improving at the uh, manufacturer's level. Uh, so it's, times are pretty good for these suppliers. And, uh, and we would suspect, you know, they're still going to trade. They're still going to be impacted by all those macro concerns that we talked about, uh, UAW headlines, um, softening economy, different things like that. Uh, but they're generally in a pretty, pretty good shape. Um, and, uh, when we talk about, um, uh, the transition to EVs, uh, the investment grade suppliers that we follow, like Lear, Aptiv, Borg, Warner, they're all, uh, uh, in a really good position. Uh, they, they're, they're not too tied to the fuel, um, traditional fuel system. Uh, they make seats. They make um, a lot of electronic pieces that go into EV. So they're all in really good position and, and, and to handle this transition um, in whatever shape it, it takes going forward. So, so generally, we have a pretty positive view on the suppliers. Uh, again, that positive view is held back by um, those bigger picture macro concerns um, that we're going to have to deal with in the second half of the year. Okay. That's great. Uh, I think it's probably a good place for us to wrap this up, Andy. So thanks for that terrific information. Uh, My pleasure, Pat. Glad to be here again. Good deal. Um, Of course, we want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you have any questions, please reach out to your portfolio manager or our marketing team at aamcompany.com. During our next podcast, I'll be joined by Marco and a member of our investment team to discuss timely issue affecting the fixed income markets. Thanks.